Welcome. You have arrived. My name is Kevin Tolliver Lyons, and I am the host of the Welcome to the Good Life podcasts. This is the South Florida Real Estate Edition. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of season one of Welcome to the Good Life Podcasts, the South Florida Real Estate Edition, and I'm your host. My name is Kevin Tolliver Lyons, and I am a South Florida real estate agent with Caldwell Banker. Uh, Caldwell Banker Hollywood specifically is my office. And uh, we're just going to get into some real estate news. So we'll see. uh, I like to call the three P's, the people, the players, and the prices. So in essence, it's the players, the properties, and the prices. Those are the three P's. So let's just dive right into what is going on in South Florida real estate. I will start looking through uh, the real deal, which is our real estate Bible here. And um, as I see, if you're familiar with uh, new construction, uh, Lennar and Dr. Horton are two of the biggest uh, new construction builders here in South Florida. And it says that Lennar has picked up 27 acres in Homestead uh, for $7 million. Uh, the entity tied to the developer, Pedro Adrian, has sold two vacant parcels to Lennar. So that bodes well for agents that uh, focus on new construction. So basically, uh, after a month of unloading a huge development site in Homestead, Lennar bought these two large lots for about $7.1 million, And they... Um, initially bought 27 acres, which is bounded by Old Dixie Highway and Southwest 264th Street and Southwest 272nd Street here in uh, South Florida. And the developer's name is Pedro Adrian. And um, in 2018, him and his company paid $8.8 million for the vacant properties. Um, in August, Lennar sold a former mobile home park spanning 43 acres at 28600 Southwest 132nd Avenue in Homestead for $23.2 million. And that buyer was an affiliate of a Scottsdale, Arizona company, which is called AGWIP Asset Management. And they paid about $6 million less than Lennar's purchase price for the property in November. So they got a nice little discount there. And what Lennar had planned to do was build a residential community uh, with homes and townhomes starting around the 200,000. Uh, that's what they basically do. They build these residential communities with homes and townhomes, and they seem to sell out pretty quickly. Uh, in January, Lennar bought 31 acres at one three four zero zero Eureka Drive near Zoo Miami, which is in South Miami Dade. Um, it's right by the. Uh, they have a a train museum, a railroad museum down there. It's right next to the zoo. I need to get a chance to get down there and check that out. So it's right down in that area. So if you live down in that area, you know some uh, development's going to come. And as you know, uh, they're publicly traded. Uh, so this publicly traded company is also making a big push here in Broward and farther up north in Palm Beach County. 
And also recently, Lenar bought about 16 acres in Coral Springs for $8.5 million. And that site is approved for 147 townhomes, which is quite a lot, which is really good to hear. And last year, Lenar grabbed a 110-acre site in Delray Beach that is zoned for 524 residential units. And Lenar paid $28 million for that. All in all, Lenar, Lenar reported $831.4 million in second quarter earnings for the period, which ended May 31st, and they are up 61% from the second quarter of 2020. So I guess with the pandemic continuing to rain, uh, rage out of control, so it seems, uh, Lenar is doing quite well. They're up 61% from last year. And as we peruse through more of the news here in South Florida, uh, let's see what else we got going on here. So we got a, a trio of people that were charged with defrauding real estate investors out of $155 million. So it basically says the feds allege that Biscayne Capital International principals use client funds to pay other investors and pay themselves millions of dollars. We aren't surprised. So the federal prosecutors in New York charged these three guys. Uh, they're from a Miami-based company, and they scam people out of $155 million. So these three were hit with a three-count indictment, conspiring to defraud foreign investors and financial inst institutions. They were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud, bank fraud, money laundering. And if they're convicted on all of these counts, they get 70 years in prison, each of them. So, you know, as they say, crime is easier, but yeah, time is harder. So, you know, just go get the real estate license and do it that way. Yeah, I know it's really difficult. Really, really, really difficult. It's like a riddle wrapped in an enigma. But, you know, got to do things the right way. So as we uh, shift now over to uh, Inman News, which is basically the real estate uh, Bible. Let's see what's going on from Instagram to HGTV, which um, real estate is big on these platforms, especially HGTV. You watch that all day, learn how to build a house, fix a house, paint a house, sell a house, you name it. HGTV got it. Now, on Instagram, everybody puts up their pictures, it's cute, everybody likes it. It seems to be the perfect marriage between uh, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Instagram kind of encapsulates all the other social media into one, which makes it really good. So there's a show on HGTV called Cheap Old Houses, and... They went viral because what they did was they would buy old houses. So let's say in South Florida, the median home price is maybe, you know, between three and three hundred fifty thousand. They would buy a house for one hundred fifty thousand. They would put it on Instagram and they would show the entire, you know, demo and uh, reconstruction of said house. It became so popular that they. Uh, got a show, got their own show on HGTV called Cheap Old Houses. Now, they're a married couple. Their name is Elizabeth and Ethan uh, Finkelstein. 
And what they do is they want to find new owners for the country's old and decaying homes. So like Detroit or, you know, places like that where properties are very run down and they go for cheap. They go in there and they rebuild entire blocks. And when you do that, it inspires others. And now you've got an entire neighborhood that's redone. And it continues and continues. And it's the beautification of a neighborhood through real estate. So now they have 1.7 million Instagram followers. And they have a 10-episode HGTV show. So it'll run for 10 episodes. And based on the popularity, you know, it'll go where it won't. So in 2016, they started posting historic-type homes for sale for under 110000 on Instagram. And usually in rural locations, they come with historical and architectural value, but are listed for as little as 20000 because they're just sitting there, nobody wants them, and they're collecting dust. So what happens? Somebody snatches them up for a cheap price, puts some money into them, and uh, flips it. So now their internet, their uh, Instagram account blew up, and now hundreds of people have moved out of large cities to go and live in these restored historic homes that they saw on Instagram. So, as they say, uh, Elizabeth says, our goal has always been to quit the whole fix and flip mentality that this country has been about. One of the reasons people are attracted to the houses on our feet is because the entry point to get in is so low and you can slowly move to work up at your own speed. I suggest you check them out. It's actually very cool. The show is cool. The Instagram feed is cool. And it says that in the year since Emin last interviewed them, they've driven 5,000 miles across the country with a camera crew and new owners just to see exactly what they're doing. So the show just premiered in August and new episodes come on a Monday. And so um, they spoke to them and said, um, you know, do you ever expect your houses on Instagram to just take off? And they thought that, you know, it always had legs. People had, you know, interest in seeing the potential of these homes. But they didn't necessarily think that it would just blow up. So people are seeing these houses on Instagram and they're seeing the prices and they're just jumping at it. Because currently in this market, it's extremely hard to find property. Very, very hard. And the properties that are available, they are going for two, three, and four times their original price they're having multiple offers which drive the price up and you know so when you see these people on instagram with the old houses and they're refurbishing it and now you have a quote-unquote historic home uh, then it, you know there's a reason to do it so i suggest you check out uh cheap old, cheap old houses on instagram and uh the show on HGTV by the same name, Cheap Old Houses. So we'll take a quick 30-second break, and we will be right back with more of Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, the South Florida Real Estate Edition. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Welcome to the Good Life Podcasts. This is the South Florida Real Estate Edition, and uh, we'll just start traveling around the country to see what's going on. We'll check New York, South Florida, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, National, 
everything going on in real estate around the country. So big story here is that Facebook is still looking for space in New York City, which I'm sure is expensive, but I'm sure they can afford it. Uh, basically, commercial brokers in New York City uh, are out looking for property for Facebook. They already have several office locations in Manhattan, but they're looking for more space, including possibly adding about another 300,000 square feet at its Broadway and Astor Place location. I know that familiar. I know that uh, location very familiar. It's very familiar to me. I actually used to go down to Astor Place and get my haircuts, which is uh, way down in Manhattan, down to the, the six train to Astor Place, as far as I know. Um, a, rep, a rep for the company told Bloomberg that Facebook is looking to support the future needs of their workforce. Now, what's interesting about that is that everybody's working from home, but they're out buying more uh, office space. So that's quite interesting. Now, they said they, they singled out the need for space for technology and engineering teams. And, and that effort is a determination by the company that New York City itself, the city, will help in recruiting talent. So I guess you can either go work in Silicon Valley out in California, or you can come or go, I should say, to New York. Now, what they want to do is Facebook is trying to take advantage um, of a specific, what they're calling an opportune time in the Manhattan office market because it struggled during the pandemic. So uh, in July, the office availability rate was at 17%, which was tying a record high. And the average rent was $72.72 per square foot, which was the lowest it's been in about four years. So they already have offices at 770 Broadway, which is near Astor Place in the Hutchin Yards. And they signed a major lease at the Farley Post Office, which is across the street from Penn Station on 34th Street. Uh, and in that lease, Facebook saved about 9% on its 730,000 square foot deal. Now, they agreed to a rate of $109 per square foot, and that will increase $10 every five years for 15 years. Now, let me say that again. Facebook agreed to a rate of $109 per square foot, which increases $10 every five years for 15 years. So it'll go up $30. So you're looking at it's going to end up at, what, $139 per square foot? In 15 years, it might be a bargain based on what's going on now. It might not be. They had originally negotiated a rent at $4 per square foot. Well, no. What happened was they negotiated a rent as $4 more before the pandemic. So they renegotiated, and that's how they saved their uh, 9%. They also received the concession from Bornado Realty Trust, which is their landlord, to contribute $146 million toward the build-out, which is going to be $36 million more than they originally thought. You know, once you start doing construction, you never know how much the end product price is going to be. So in total, Facebook saved about $100 million on that deal. And it was still a big win for Vornado because Facebook will pay them a little bit more than a billion dollars on a lease originally valued at $1.13 billion. Now, in the past, Renato and Facebook have discussed this expanding the tech presence at 770 Broadway by buying out other tenants in the building. So the bottom line is, if you have 
deep pockets, you know, you can go as far as you want with this. So deep pockets will get you the things that you want. So let's move on to Los Angeles real estate. What is going on in LA? So in terms of what we were just talking about, Facebook is increasing its office um, space. What's happening in California is the opposite. The surging uh, Delta variant is stopping people returning to the office. So what's happening is in California, it's getting popular. Everybody wants to go back to work. You know, the politics are a little bit different. So I guess over there, they're opening up a little bit more. So there's a need for office space. But it's not necessarily like that all over the place because, you know, New York is going to be different from Florida. That's going to be different from, you know, L.A., San Francisco, etc. So, you know, based on where you're working out of, you might be working in a, um, you know, work from home market, let's call it. So back to California real estate, there's something interesting. They have that's called a Coal Valley Treehouse that sold for $2 million over asking price in the sky-high Bay Area market. I have a family member who's an uh, agent in San Francisco, and I can tell you the prices out there start at like $2.5 million. Now, this is a treehouse. Now, they're giving it a cute name. They're calling it the treehouse in the sky, so you, know, you get your marketing on for your treehouse. But uh, it's what compasses Michael Bellings dubbed as the three-bedroom, 2,000-square-foot treehouse. Um, he listed it for just under $3.5 And less than two weeks later, he's gotten 15 offers, half of them all cash, and a handful of them about a million dollars over asking price. Now, in the end, that frenzy pushed up the closing sale price to $5.6 million for the property, which has sweeping views of the city skyline, 60% above the original listing price. Now, obviously, he said that uh, we couldn't have guessed that we'd go that high in our wildest dreams, and I can concur there, because at the end of the day, it is still a treehouse. But that being said, the San Francisco metro area led the nation in the number of homes that sold for 30% or more above asking price. So that's just what they do in San Francisco. If something's a dollar, yeah, you want to pay $3? Sure, great, no problem. So now they led the nation with 7.4% of prices of uh, properties, 30% or more over asking price which is double the first quarter's 3.8% and more than five times the national average of 1.4%. So you could tell you how San Francisco is just a different beast. Now, overall home prices are rising as well, and a recent report found that buyers in San Francisco need an annual income of $350,000 to afford a single-family property. I will repeat that. San Francisco, people who live in San Francisco, they have to make at least $350,000 a year just to buy a home. I might need to say that again because I live in South Florida and my home costs $270,000, the whole house with everything in it. And 
San Francisco, you have to make three hundred and fifty thousand. Like I said, their median their median home prices is two point five million, which is you know. But in the Bay Area, relentless demand for these houses and supply that failed to keep up is driving competition for many houses into newer territory, especially in these hot markets. Now, the 50-year-old Coal Valley home has set a record for the neighborhood at $2,395 a foot. The view and the location obviously help. It has nice things like a brick fireplace, ceramic tile, wood finishes, a sunken living room. Now, mind you, it's still a treehouse. But the winning offer was an all-cash offer. The deal closed within seven days, and they already live in the neighborhood. So they bought that home for extended family. Now, that listing also includes plans for a 10,000-square-foot mansion, signaling a potential teardown of said treehouse. But he, the, the, uh, the gentleman, uh, the listing agent, Belling, said he felt compelled to have those plans drawn up for that modern monstrosity given that the 15 to $20 million new builds are rising in the area, but the owner said they would leave the existing home intact. But still, a few developers did put in bids, but the owners were emotionally driven to offer more. So, the bottom line is they paid this money, which was three about 3.5, but if you tear it down and build up something else, you can get a new build for $20 million. So you'll definitely, definitely, definitely make your money back. So that was quite interesting. So now let's uh, take a trip to Chicago, the Windy City, and uh, see what is going on over there. Now, Chicago's, you know, it's somewhat like New York. It's a big city metropolitan you know the weather affects it because it does get cold now the biggest worry of chicago real estate professionals are the politicians and the taxes now on a scale of one to five with five being the most troubling the top concern was the effectiveness of city leaders which clocked in at 4.33 followed by cook county property taxes at 4.27 and illinois state leaders at 4.24 now, that was according to a mid-year report on the Chicago market by the Real Estate Center at DePaul University. Now, these leaders are failing to adequately address crime and pension liability issues, which complicates the underwriting decisions. But they said that their outlook is looking a little bit better this year than last year, with 36% saying that they're bullish on Chicago property, which is up from 22.6% a year ago. And like I said, the pandemic, uh, you know, helps things kind of take off because there's a lack of, of inventory. Lack of inventory drives up value because there's none left. So they're, they're nearly ecstatic about the possibilities of next year with 71 people, 71% saying that they're optimistic about the future of Chicago's real estate. Now, these participants were executives and partners from real estate investment companies and banks, and they focused much of their uh, current concern on the Cook County property tax system, which is in the midst of changing after the election of tax assessor, a new tax assessor in 2018. Now, this report uh, 
this report has said that they're the only county in the state where commercial taxpayers are taxed at 25%, which is two and a half times more than residential taxpayers. And they're awarding significant COVID relief to residential property owners while not affording that same consideration to commercial property owners. Now, they've long been critical of this new tax assessor who has implemented changes in the property tax assessment process that shifted tax burden from homes to businesses. Um, Brian Ford, who was a partner with the firm O'Keefe, Lyons & Hines, said that we have one of the worst property tax burdens in the nation. He said, when you go into a job like this and try fixing a system so broken and so notorious for clout and stuff behind the scenes, that conflict is baked already in the cake. And the pandemic opened our eyes to the challenges of just-in-time delivery. We're now seeing some users increase the levels of inventory on demand, which creates a greater demand for space. So as you see, the real estate market everywhere is just crazy. You know, multiple offers, prices going up. And then you got, you know, you go up north and now all these hurricanes are going up north. And what you got? Massive flooding. So what did Ida do? Because I saw the scenes from New York, which, you know, seeing my hometown pretty much underwater was like watching, you know, a movie. But Ida flooding caused up to $24 billion in property damage. Now, if you've seen any of the pictures, uh, not to mention all the properties, but all the cars that were total write-offs. Now, catastrophic flooding in the wake of Hurricane Ida caused up to tens of billions of dollars in damages to residential and commercial properties. And losses throughout that region can range anywhere from 16 to 24 billion. That's according to a study released by CoreLogic on Wednesday with roughly 90% concentrated in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. So it basically hit everybody up there. Now, given the prevalence, they said, of multifamily housing and below-ground structures, more extreme interior damage they will start seeing in these southern coastal areas. Now, insured losses on residential and commercial buildings are probably going to hit between five and eight billion, while the uninsured losses could total between 11 and 16 billion. And they're saying that the damage, particularly in New York City, could have been worse if it wasn't for the structural improvements that were made following the last major storm, which was Superstorm Standing in 2012. Now it was what, we 21? It was almost, you know, 10 years ago. Now, due to those repairs, they strengthened buildings and infrastructure and you know, they addressed maintenance that hadn't been done in a while and it shored up some of these buildings uh, for what has happened. But all in all, there still is going to be plenty of uh, problems and money to pay out. So we're going to take a little break and we're going to come right back. Once again, this is Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, the South Florida Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, coming from sunny south florida my name is kevin tolliver lyons we'll be right back all right i figured we get into some local listings from my 
Caldwell Banker Hollywood office. So in Pembroke Pines at 13783 Northwest 19th Street, we have a five bedroom, three bathroom, uh, going for 999K. So that's 999,000 uh, for a 5-3 in Pembroke Falls right here in Broward County. Now this Waterford model in upscale, upscale Crystal Harbor sits on almost 14,000 square feet. The lot is on a lake with a pool. The home features a grand foyer with majestic 22 foot soaring ceilings, marble floors, upgraded kitchen oven microwave, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, and a walk-in pantry. Uh, all bedrooms have built-in closets, window treatments, upgraded laundry rooms, washers and dryers. The garage has built-in cabinets. They have upgraded staircases, a covered patio, security system, accordion hurricane shutters, and their master suite plus one bedroom on the first floor, uh, three, two plus the loft on the second floor. And the house comes with natural gas, including a pool heater. That MLS number is A11094628. So if you are looking for a 5-3 in Pembroke Pines, give me a call. I'll make it happen. Now, moving on to uh, Hollywood at 1310 Pierce Street. Uh, it is a development opportunity. It is a double lot with a teardown home and much sought after Hollywood Lakes. And it's one block from North North Lake Drive. Uh, the lot is 100 by 136, zoned RS6. And the home on the property is an uninsured teardown sold at is priced for immediate sale. So if you are looking for that, that MLS number is A11094012. Once again, give me a call and I will show you this property. Now, as we go on to the beach side, 1901 South Ocean Drive, uh, unit number 603 on Hollywood Beach in the Quadamon building is a 11787 uh, square feet uh, and is right on the water. Like if you know Ocean Drive, it's the buildings and then the water. So this beautiful unit so close to the water, you can watch the sunrise every morning from your balcony. It's a boutique, a boutique building with a secured lobby. It has recently passed its uh, very important 40-year inspection now, as we know, because of the, uh, the building collapse. Uh, no assessments, all impact windows and doors, uh, pool security, and right on the boardwalk. So if you're looking for uh, something just for you, a 1-1 right on the beach, uh, that MLS number is A11095359. Once again, give me a call and I will show it to you. And this last one right here, on once again, on Hollywood Beach. This one is at 4111 South Ocean Drive. Unit number uh, UPH5. This is a 2-2, two, two, two bed, two bath, 
1,161 square feet, built in 2017. Has breathtaking ocean and intracoastal views from this stunning 2-2 upper penthouse. The unit is completely decorated and fully equipped with top-of-the-line appliances and finishes. The condo hotel resort style full service building with deluxe amenities includes a 24 hour concierge, on site dining and room service, state of the art fitness center, valet parking, pool, spa, and beach service. This is excellent as a vacation home or as an investment property. This unit can be rented daily, weekly, and monthly, generating income when it's not in use. So if you are looking for a 2 2 right on the beach overlooking the ocean, with a stunning, stunning balcony on the penthouse level, so it's top floor. You know, give me a call. So once again, you are listening to the Welcome to the Good Life podcasts, the South Florida Real Estate Edition. I am your host, Kevin Tolliver Lyons. And once again, you can give me a call at 646-402-4669. Or you can come uh, to the Caldwell Banker Hollywood office, which is in the Park Sheridan Plaza Mall, one block west of I-95, located directly across from T.Y. Park at the corner of Sheridan and North Park Road. We are five minutes from the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, Tri-Rail, the I-595 and the Turnpike. And we're right there, nestled right in between Fort Lauderdale and Miami Beach. So you don't want to go all the way down. You don't want to go all the way up. We're right there. And right here, there's tons of things to do. We got historic Hollywood. We got downtown Hollywood. Everywhere from the beach to the lakes, we got the hills. And we got the beautiful Hard Rock Hollywood. They call it Hard Rock Holly, you know, the guitar hotel. So come on, check us out. Give me a call. You need some property. You need an investment property. You need a rental. Whatever you need, give me a call. I got your back. So I just wanted to tell everybody, thank you for joining us for this first episode of season one of Welcome to the Good Life Podcasts, the South Florida Real Estate Edition. Once again, I am your host. My name is Kevin Tolliver Lyons with Coldwell Banker Hollywood. It has been a pleasure. And I will see you next time.